Uh, with all the announcements and joking aside, let's go ahead and, and turn to the book of James. Let's have a word of prayer, and we're going we're gonna to get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, who you are and, and what you have done in our lives, in our hearts. Lord, for the journey that we um, are all on toward you. And some are at the beginning of that journey. Some are at a point of choosing U-turns or continuing to follow. Some have followed for so long they don't even remember the life they had before they came to you. Others, that life is always in front of them. No matter where we are on that spectrum, no matter where we are in those paths, no matter what's going on in our lives, uh, Lord, we come now to your word and we ask for your glory and your praise to be manifest in all that we say and do as it has been already. And that our focus would solely be on Jesus and what he has called us to do and be. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So we're in the book of James and we're in chapter 3. Um, if you've been with us for a while, you know that James is um, often treated the uh, called the, the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's, it's very much uh, wisdom literature. It's very much this, um, this book that deals with the practical concerns of the church. And James, it, we're going to hit a passage that I think is often misapplied because in our minds when we read a statement like it's wisdom literature, we think of Proverbs. Now, any of you who have ever read Proverbs, um, you know that one of the interesting things about that book is every single verse is a self-contained nugget of wisdom. Of course, the second thing you'll notice is that often Proverbs will say one thing in one verse and then a couple verses later seem to say a different thing about the same subject. Well, that's because the nature of proverbial wisdom is situational. So, for example, there are times, and you can read through Proverbs, I'm not misquoting, Proverbs says that you should just let a fool talk and not say anything. And then there are other times you should tell a fool he's a fool. Well, which one do we do? Well, it all depends on the situation. Um, that's how Proverbs works. Well, sometimes we read uh, a book and we hear, okay, it's wisdom literature, you know, and there are other books that are wisdom literature, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, um, uh, and, and then James, which is very much treated as wisdom literature in the New Testament. But James has a very, very overarching idea. He's dealing with the church, and he's dealing with the church in a difficult situation. And so when he provides for us what we would consider proverbial wisdom, it's not an isolated pragmatic thing, but rather it is a more universal concept. Um, it's a more, uh, it's not, oh, should we apply this or not? Um, and do we have particular contexts that we deal with it? Remember that James is always dealing with the church. So when he describes things, he's describing the relationships in the church. Now, why do I say that? Um, because this is one of the hardest passages for pastors to preach on because it begins with a statement about us. So let's go ahead in James chapter 3. James chapter 3 and verse 1. Also, if you don't know, if you, you haven't known me for a long time, you know I get distracted by shiny things, so I had to move that. James chapter 3 and verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, 
For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. That's sarcasm. Just so you know. If, if, any man if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are, also, they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So I want you to get the context of what he's saying here, right at the beginning. I have heard this passage preached about gossip, preached about all kinds of things, but he's dealing with teachers. He's talking specifically about those who speak with the authority of Scripture in the church. Now, are there applications, practical applications for what, he re what he's dealing with in our regular lives? Absolutely regular. I make me sound irregular. Um, but there are absolutely applications, but his immediate context is he's dealing with the issue of teachers. And if he's talking so much about teachers and their ability to bridle their tongue, then guess what some of the teachers that James is dealing with had a problem with? They ran off at the mouth. Now, being an expert at running off at the mouth, this is a passage that really has important value to us as leaders and teachers. And you say, well, I'm not a leader, I'm not a teacher, so that's okay. If you're a parent, you're a teacher. If you're a grandparent, you're a teacher. If you're an employee or an employer, you're a teacher. Followers of Christ are always teaching because people will see Christ in you and they will define him by how you behave. Now, in, in the particular case of those of us who, who get to be the great the great joy and happiness of being judged with greater strictness, right, 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 Doc? Um, those, of us, those of us who get the great joy of being judged with greater, to a higher standard, um, it's more manifest on us because everybody listens to us, we hope. So let's continue. Verse, verse, continue in verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small gender reveal. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body or, or altering the whole body. It's not necessarily a negative term there. Setting on fire the entire course of the body and set on fire by hell. Now he's, he's making an argument to the extreme. Every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Hold up, James. You see the hyperbole he's using there, okay? Has humanity tamed all, all animals? I mean, have we even really tamed cats? <laughs> or have they tamed us? All right? Um, there's a great, by the way, Rudyard Kipling wrote a great story in, uh, um, in one of his books about how the cat came to live with man. If you ever want to Google it, it's, it's a funny story. It's not true, but it's a funny story. Anyway, um, 
for every beast, verse 7, but no human being can tame the tongue. So he's speaking in hyperbole here. He says, we can tame everything in creation, but we have trouble with what we say. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Again, hyperbole, okay? So this is not an always situation, but it is a reality that can happen. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so, but of course, because he says them, even though they ought not to be so, they are so. It does happen. It's a human condition. Does a spring, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? That's a subtle allusion, by the way, to something that his half-brother Jesus said about fig trees. Uh, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now, I'm not going to get into this one, but this is a very interesting moment where James makes a very, very subtle allusion to the Old Testament. James is very good at being subtle. There was a moment in the Exodus where the people of Israel came to a brackish pond called Merah, means bitterness, and, a and Moses, I almost said Abraham, that would have reminded everybody up. Um, Moses, uh, through God, God heals it by throwing a stick in it and makes it fresh water. So James is making a very subtle allusion. So the question is, can, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And he's subtly saying, not naturally, but God can change people. Okay, you see what he's doing? Very subtle, very cunning. James is, James is a very good writer, but you have to think. He's, a, he's an engager. He wants you to think about what he's reading. So verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, don't forget that he is talking about teachers. So go all the way back to verse 1. So he is saying here, okay, who is supposed to be a teacher? Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his good works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. I'm going to come back to that phrase, false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Chapter 1, verse 17, all good things descend from the Father of lights. All right. So this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James is talking about who has authority, what voices should we listen to? Teachers, by definition, are dangerous. You say, what? Teachers, by definition, are dangerous because you entrust a teacher to tell you the truth about a situation. When your children are going through school, you have no idea, if you don't properly engage, what point of view those teachers are coming from as they're teaching your children. 
And if you're not careful, your children will acquire a certain aspect of worldview and thoughts that is in conflict with the scriptures and Christianity, and you'll never be aware of it. Now, this isn't all teachers, but it certainly exists. There are teachers, when we have a teacher, now the state of New Hampshire does not have this, um, but in several states in the union, we have what's called in locus parentis, which means that teachers are treated as if they have the authority of parents. Therefore, if they do something to children, something nefarious to children, they are prosecuted to the extreme of the law because of the authority that has been granted to them implicitly by their role. Teachers are important, and important people tend to be dangerous. Pastors are important, and so it is very, very important that we be aware that they are also dangerous. If I have a bad day, I'm not the only one that bears the consequences of that bad day. If I'm frustrated or angry and I lash out in anger, as a pastor, I'm not the only one who deals with the consequences of that anger. Teachers matter. And they are both important and they are dangerous. How many of you actually have the resources, now there are a few of you, but the resources, the wherewithal, and the methodology to be able to question most of the things that I say on a Sunday morning. There's not a lot of us who can go, I don't know whether that's actually the way that Greek word should be defined. Now, there are a few people with the skills and the ability to do that, but I'm going to hazard a guess that the vast majority of our congregation is not functional in Koine Greek or Hebrew. So, a lot of times you have to assume that what I'm saying is true. You know the astounding thing is that people can say things that make sense that are false? Used car dealers are phenomenal at it. Teenagers are extraordinarily good at believing the most absurd notions if it means that they get to keep their devices. I mean, this is just a reality. We can make arguments that sound good, that are basically false. And we can build up ideas and theologies and belief structures that can build social agencies that people call churches that are not. And we can have teachers who write books and look good on TV and tell you extraordinary things who speak the fa speak falsely to the truth. You know the most dangerous apostasy is not the one that rejects Jesus openly, but the one that uses him to veil the intentions of man. And James is dealing with this in the church. Look at how he describes everything that's going on. I don't think I need to get into all the details about the tongue, okay? He uses these metaphors. He talks about how the tongue, you know, a bridle, that, that the tongue steers the whole body. And what's he talking about? He's talking about a teacher, that a teacher can steer the whole body. That he can, he can make people go where he wants them to go. 
So you better make sure that the bridle is proper. That the pilot can steer a boat with a small rudder. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. Now, we don't, we're not too terribly familiar with uh, sailing vessels, with the exception of Leo, um, who is... What's your rank, your rating? Your... All right. So Leo knows sailboats. Right? He sailed in the Aegean and all kinds of crazy stuff. If the wind is blowing this away and you don't set your sails properly and just bang your rudder the opposite direction, what's going to happen to your boat? <laughs> it's not going to be happy. Sailing is a, is a skill. And it's complicated. So the person, the rudder, the pilot, he has to know all those pieces and everybody involved in all those pieces, they may not know what's going on. They're just doing their part. A small fire can set a forest ablaze. I joke around about the gender reveals, but for crying out loud, can people stop using explosives to reveal the gender of their children? Happening all the time, it seems. It's like, just blow confetti. Get a confetti gun. Don't blow things up. People are like, it's America. This is what we do fireworks, Syria, anyway. Um, a, a small thing, right? And a teacher can, can speak and change and transfer so much. Look what he talks about in verse 13. He says, Are, who is wise and understanding among you? That's the first question. It's the first question he asks. A teacher is wise but how do we know what wisdom is? Those of you that are still on social media, how many of you get so tired of people posting graphics of some bits and pieces of wisdom from some person you've never heard of, like it's authoritative to you? You know, like, well, so-and-so said. I'm like, I don't even know who so-and-so is. I like to post quotes that don't exist. My favorite things. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, my, um, my, my, my dad's best friend's kids uh, one day decided to send a prank missionary letter. This is what pastor's kids get up to. Um, they created a, a missionary letter with a picture of the, one of the older brothers and one of the sisters. Um, they were probably 16 and 15 at the time. And she had like a pillow stuffed in her belly to make her look pregnant. And they invented a name and they invented a mission and they invented a country. Like they just invented all this stuff. And then they just had a Bible verse like just like their life verse it just had the reference to the verse and when you looked it up it was like and then he did pound three miter three kefirs of, of flour and throw it in somebody's face it was some bizarre bible verse and they mailed it out to all of their friends as a missions letter they just thought it was really funny right um but the 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 whole idea who is wise and understanding among you how do you judge what is wisdom i had and, and the funny thing is there were a lot of people that were you know, they, they kind of like, is this real? Is this legitimate with this missions letter? It was back in the days before digital printing. Everything was, you cut lines out of paper and taped it together. Um, who is wise and understanding? Well, how do you determine who is a, who is a, a wise teacher? On verse 14, and I don't think I need to define these words. Um, he says, if you have bitterness, bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition in your hearts. He says, if that's the reality, when you speak, it's going to be boasting, and it's going to be speaking, it's going to be false to the truth. Isn't that an interesting word? 
a phrase, false to the truth. In other words, it's almost the truth. It's almost the truth. One time I was teaching in the high school and I asked the kids, I said, um, where in the Bible does it say, from each according to their ability to each according to their need? That is not in the Bible. That's Karl Marx. Cleanliness is next to godliness. John Wesley, not in the Bible. Um, by the way, he meant bathing once a week, whether you needed it or not. He says, there's things that they, they sound good, but they're false to the truth. And a teacher who is like that, it flows out of bitterness and jealousy and ambition. When your ambition is to build a church, to build a following, to be praised, to, to be exalted, when your ambition, when your ambition is to, uh, to accomplish and accumulate... That's going to result in boasting. It's going to result in the false to the truth. It's going to be wisdom not from above, but from the earth. Jealousy, in verse 16, where jealousy and selfish ambition, he doubles up these phrases again. He talked about bitter jealous and selfish ambition. He brings it again, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. There will be disorder and every vile practice. The word disorder there is unsettled. It is, it is the sense of not complete. Like every single project in my house. Unsettled, incomplete, not done properly. The word vileness, it means of low quality. Of unacceptable quality. Um, it is it is this sense that when you build something, when you build what what is supposed to be built on Scripture, it's supposed to be built on Christ, and you build it out of selfish ambition and bitterness and jealousy, it is an unfinished, incomplete thing of low quality. And you know what's funny is that. I have this deep conviction, this deep understanding that people sense that. But they brush it aside. Because how could anything this good be not of God? There's a very popular church growth book um, back in the 90s when I was in college. Um, that basically, the introduction, the argument of the book was... Find out what God is doing, get your surfboard, and ride the wave of success. Whatever you look out and say is successful, I'm sorry, not what God is doing, but what is successful, get your surfboard and ride that wave. Whatever it is, just do that thing. And, and I have to confess that as a young pastor, I was willing to try that. I tried everything. Doc and Lori remember the days of us trying everything at Heritage Baptist Church. It was like, what if we, how about, 
let's do this. As a, and Doc one time, and whether he remembers it or not, he walked up to me one time, he shook my hand, he said, Pastor, now Doc and I have a slight age difference. All right? We're, we're 30 years apart. Um, so when I was 30, he was 60. It was symmetrical. He walked up to me, shook my hand, and he said to me, Pastor, I have no idea what you're doing, but we're with you. Amen. And those that have been with us for a while, you know that the reality of ministry is, is you try something and it doesn't work or it fails or it breaks down. Um, and you go, okay, what does God want us to do? But this idea that just find whatever is successful and do that thing and that will be successful for you. Where does that come from? It comes from ambition and it comes from bitterness and it comes from jealousy. Ed Stetzer said that church growth seminars are pornography for pastors because you see something that someone else has and you desire that thing more than the thing that God has given you. And, and sometimes we look and we see somebody that's got this super successful family. Everybody's happy. 18 car garage. Kids are getting Ferraris for their 16th birthday. By the way, if that's any of you, I would like to be your friend. But um, the, 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 you know, we look at it and we go, wow, they're so successful and isn't that exciting? Isn't that extraordinary? I want what they have. How do I do what they're doing so that it's successful? I can't even get my kid out of bed in the morning. Their kids are doing Harvard degree school in junior high. What am I doing wrong? It's the, the problem with that is when we, we want to build something, it's, it's unsettled, it's unfinished because it's not who God called us to be. And you know when we get into a situation where we start speaking false to the truth? You know when we get into a situation when our tongue runs faster than our brain? You know when we get in a situation when, when we set fire in the lives of other people? Is rather than seeing what God has given us and doing with, with what God has given us, what He has called us to do, we want to do bigger. We want to be better. We, be, we want the thing that other people have. And James says, that's why so few of you can be teachers. He says, there's a bunch of teachers out in the church. And James is talking about his church. I'm not talking about Bedford Road. He's saying there are a bunch of teachers out in the church teaching you guys, and they are running at the mouth. They are telling you things out of conformity with Scripture, and you need to ask yourself, who is wise and understanding among you? Do you feel that there is something off or wrong? By the way, I, I can tell you, one of the very first things that should set off alarms for you is any time that you ask an honest question. Now, I'm not talking about dumb questions. And by dumb question, I don't mean... I mean, like, a dumb question is like, why did you wear those socks? Okay? I have sets of Parks and Rec socks that I wear. Sometimes people notice. They were a gift from my daughter. I don't wear them because they make me a good, good preacher. I just think it's really, really funny that Ron Swanson was voted man of the year, or woman of the year. Um, if you don't know the show, don't worry about it. Uh, but one of the first questions we should ask is when, when a teacher is not willing 
to explain where the teaching is coming from. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, because that's the way we do it, and that's all there is to it? Somebody one time visited our church very early on in, a, in our path, and they, they asked Greg Jones why we had uh, new international versions of the Bible in the racks, all right, in the, the chair racks. So we have English Standard versions now. I can talk about versions of the Bible until the, the world comes down. I won't do it. Um, and Greg gave him a really great explanation. And I, in my goofy, sarcastic way, Greg came up to me later and he told me about it. I said, I would have told them that they're in the racks because if we had them drop from the ceiling, we would have to deal with concussions. <laughs> but they, you know, we joke around about stuff like that, but when you have somebody who can't give you a, a biblical reason why something is the way that it is, when, you, when somebody is saying, well, we should, as a church, we should do this thing. Well, how does that conform to what God's Holy Spirit has been leading the church through the scriptures to do? Well, I'm not worried about that. I just want to do this thing. That should be a warning. And, and be honest. Let's, let's all be honest, okay? There are plenty of things that happen in our church, in our body, that sometimes we go home and we go, what are we thinking? Why would we do it that way? We, we, we process things. You know, we used to call them, um, we used to call them uh, Sunday, Sunday drive, from home, drive home conversations. Where people come home and go, I do not know what was up with that song. What was Pastor talking about? What book of the Bible was he speaking from? Where is Thessalonians? You know, they, they're, you know but then there are, there are bigger questions. I don't understand why we're doing this. I don't understand what we're doing. We, and we ask that about ourselves, about each other, and the pastor, and the elders, and the congregation. We have all those questions. But when somebody comes back and says, it doesn't matter what you think, the rock answer, it doesn't matter what you think, that should be a warning. That's the rock, capital R. Dwayne Johnson used to say, it doesn't matter what you think. Sorry. Um, The passage here, however, and I want to leave you with this statement, does not say, although it talks about a good leader, it says that a good leader, that wisdom from above, in verse 17, it is pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. It doesn't mean that it's mousy. It doesn't mean that good leadership is perfect. You will not find there the phrase, a good leader always says the right thing all the time. N.T. Wright one time said, one third of what I said is false, I, or one third of what I said is wrong, I just don't know which third. It does not say that we have to be perfect to be teachers. In fact, when we go back into verse 2 and he says, we all stumble in many ways and if anyone does not stumble, he is perfect. Remember I said that's sarcasm. There's no such thing as a perfect teacher. But there is a such thing as a transparent teacher committed to the authority of Scripture. If somebody can't admit, A, the source of what they're saying you should do, and B, that they might be in error from time to time, be warned. Be warned. He talks about being pure, but he doesn't say that the teacher is pure. 
He says, the wisdom is pure. The wisdom is peaceable. A transparent leader, an authentic leader. There's so much talk about authenticity, which is often used as a veil for sin. Authenticity is about allowing the Word of God to shine through your brokenness, your flaws, your weakness. And the leaders that he's dealing with are people who instead of being transparent and letting God speak through them, they just run at the mouth with whatever they think and they were destroying the church. Now you can make all kinds of applications about that, but I have just written one note here and I'm done. Authenticity and transparency are about facing reality and failure. Gaining insight wisdom and discipline and going forward with Christ. Wisdom is not about being perfect. Purity is not about you expunging from your life every imperfection, but rather that you become as much as you can a pure conduit of the wisdom of God. You will say dumb things. Again, expert at saying dumb things. Be willing to admit you said dumb things and re-rail and get back to Christ. The elders know that there are times where they get an email on Sunday afternoon. Now, it doesn't happen as often as it used to. But they'll get an email and I will apologize for a message. I'm sorry I wasn't clear. I didn't understand what I was talking about. I got lost. Greg Jones got an email one time. I started a series on Revelation on Sunday nights. Um, This was back in Hooksit 2005. He got an email. Greg, I can't keep doing this. I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm not lifting myself up as a paragon. I'm, I'm, I'm saying to you, that true Christian leadership is about a transparency, about setting aside ambition and jealousy and all those things that motivate us and instead committing ourselves to Christ and the work He's put ahead of us and in front of us and allowing His wisdom to flow through us, to admit our imperfections and to move forward in Christ. Let's pray. In one way or another, Jesus, we we teach the gospel. And if we wait around to become the perfecti, if we long for the day when we will never fail, we rob ourselves the joy of seeing you work despite us. Lord, I am so thankful although I don't say it enough, I'm thankful for those who step up to lead, to teach, to stand in the gap in our congregation, knowing they are flawed, knowing that none of us deserve any position or authority. 
Lord, help us to be cautious in our relationship to all the, the plethora of, of Christian teachers and speakers and writers out there and be aware uh, to seek out the wisdom that comes from you. And may we in all things, always, as much as we possibly can, allow you to speak. For us to be transparent, to be conduits of your grace and your love and your good gifts to the church and to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name.